Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people, and this person has made more movies happen than pretty much anyone I know. He's directed 16 movies. His name is Steve Balderson. He's been based in Kansas, making all these movies, and he just moved out to L.A. He's got four movies coming out within a month, like right now, um, on various platforms, as they say. He's got Helltown, uh, which is like a gory, high school, fun, whodunit thing. He's got the re-release of his second movie, Firecracker. He's got El Gonzo, which is a two-hander about a woman in Cabo San Lucas. And then he's got Elvis Lives on the Axis channel. So he's very busy. We're going to hear all about it. Uh, First, a little housekeeping. Um, I love interviewing people. So Uh, I would do it all the time if I could. If you know anyone that you think should be on the podcast that I should interview, shoot me an email at dennis at dennishensley.com. Or if you know any opportunities to interview, I'll moderate a family fight. No, that's not going to be a good, that's not a good move. But you know what I'm saying? I like doing this. So if you know of any outlets, print, radio, whatever, I'm always... I'm just going to come right out and say it. I'm going to ask for what I want, right? That's what they tell you. Also, if you want to visit DennisAnyone.net, uh, you can find all the podcasts there. I posted some fun pictures that go with different podcasts. Um, you can also donate to my virtual tip jar. It helps me pay for the hosting fees and various expenses that come up. I really appreciate it. If you love a podcast, share it. Tell your friends. Um, if you're listening for the first time, I hope you like what you hear. I hope you subscribe and listen to more and go back and listen to a bunch of them from before. So anyway, there's my big plug. Without any further ado, here is filmmaker Steve Balderson. Hey there, I am here in my condo welcoming our guest today, Steve Balderson, filmmaker extraordinaire. Hi. And new L.A. transplant. Yes. How long ago did you move to L.A.? From Kansas. March. So you've been here, I don't know, six months maybe? What What do you think about it? How are you liking it? Well, I really like the food. Really? Yeah. Like what kind of where do you, like restaurants and going out and trying different things? Yeah, I mean, I come from a place where there are three places to eat, and right. So if you go out to lunch every day, you're eating at all of them twice. You know, right. One yeah. Week. And so, I mean, sure, there are some favorites that I revisit, but I also just like where shall I go today, and then look on the map or like Jonathan Gold's. LA Times list of restaurants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, like, you know, pick a place and go. And he, he finds kind of obscure stuff. His mm-hmm. isn't all just, like, you know, five-star she-she things. He, yeah. He, he goes to the offbeat and the outskirts and stuff. Yeah, which is really great because yeah. then it's adventure. Yes. What part of town do you live in? Um, Hollywood nearest Los Feliz. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, it's a great yeah. area. I mean, I, I like, I can walk around everywhere, you know, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, I can pretend like I'm living in a city. I mean, it is urban there, sort of, but, yeah. you know, it's exciting. Now, we first met in Austin, I feel like, Austin Film Festival, or I might have met you before that at some other festival. Yeah. But I remember spending time with you, uh, not Austin, um, North I Carolina. Don't where it was. Yeah, it was North Carolina. I was thinking, I don't know why I was thinking Austin. North Carolina, it was like last year, uh, we hung out, we both had films in the North Carolina Gay Film Festival. Yes. You were there with Helltown, right? Yes. Now, Helltown is one of, like, Three or four... You have this this film onslaught happening right now. It's crazy. Now, tell us... Uh, we'll, we'll go through each movie individually. But you have, like, 
several movies coming out at the same time. Some theatrically, some on VOD, some on television. Mm-hmm. So let's start with um, El Gonzo. Okay. Um, I watched that most recently. Cool. It's very, like, it reminded me of a Before Sunset kind of movie. Or oh, Before sure. Midnight, uh, the Julie Delpy, Ethan Hawke movies. Yeah. Where it's two people in a really interesting place talking and, and figuring out stuff. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I actually... <clears throat> Need to watch those movies because I haven't watched. Oh, you've never seen them? No, but I. Good, it's I good love though because it's good though because then you know you can say I, I wasn't you know. I feel like I saw like a, a ten minute clip. Yeah. Of them in this scene, and I just I loved the dialogue in that movie, just from what I saw. So right. I need to watch it. You totally should. Yeah. So um, tell us the the plot for the the listeners. Well, El Gonzo, which opens on Friday at the arena, September 9th. Um, Fantastic. Uh, it is about. Essentially, just two lonely people. Um, you know, one of them is a struggling artist, and he's there trying to figure it out to get his vision. You know, to, to find it, whatever the voice is. Right. And um, the other one is this woman who uh, we're not really sure of. You know, it's sort of a mystery when it begins because she's in an accident, and we're not sure if she has amnesia or she's just weird. We don't know yet, but it's, right. we find out. I mean, it's, you know, as it goes forward and they just sort of connect in some way. And then, um, throughout the film, you know, they, uh, they have an adventure both externally with the land in Mexico, but also internally discovering who they are in their own voices and all that. It made me want to go on Expedia and book a flight. It's so great. It's so, is it Cabo? It's the whole Los Cabos area. Okay. And I was pretty unfamiliar with Mexico when I first, you know, was getting ready to go there. Right. And I didn't know that there were two cities that made up Los Cabos. I didn't know that either. Is it Cabo San Lucas and something else? Yes. The other one is San Jose del Cabo. Oh, okay. And that's primarily, like, old, you know, classic, um, there's a great mission. It's it's not Cabo San Lucas at all. Cabo San Lucas is very much, you know, spring break. Yeah, cruise ships and yeah. tourists and, and stuff like that. And we didn't really even go there. Right. San Lucas, but in San Jose del Cabo, which is closest to the airport, that's where the hotel was located, and a lot of these beautiful downtown, you know, the Mission and some other places. Right. And then there were towns, I don't know, an hour or so away that we went to, and a great place called Todos Santos, which was, I think, maybe a two and a half hour drive. So we just covered the whole Baja Peninsula, really. I It looks so beautiful, and you photograph it so beautifully. The composition, there's all these memorable shots. The hotel looks amazing. It was, but you know what's crazy is that after we filmed, it was maybe a month later, everything that you see in the movie was destroyed by the hurricane. You're kidding! No. I really wanted to go stay at that hotel. Well, they rebuilt it. Okay, it's still there. It I, is. I could do that. And it's weird because it's, it's like, especially if you've seen the movie and you go, it's a little strange because it's the same place, but not at all. It's like they, they, when they rebuilt it, they changed things. Sure. So it was like we were going and having this weird deja vu, but it was the same place, but not at all. So you went back since you shot? We did. It was in the um, Los Cabos Film Festival in the fall, so we were able to go back and celebrate with everybody. Of course, with the hometown crowd. It had a feel of some... The dialogue had uh, a sort of spontaneity to it. Was there much improvising in the script? There was a lot of it, actually. Um, What we would do is... I, for this particular movie, took the script and said, okay... Here's the script for the scene. Here, right. I'm going to outline the purpose for yeah. what Here's we need what to do. Here's what we need to accomplish. Yeah, but go for it. Right. You know, if you want to be on book, you can be on book. If you want to improv, go ahead. You know, right. because I knew the way that the, the structure of how I was going to edit it was such a way that it would allow me to have the freedom to be flexible in the scene. Right. You do some neat things with editing. Like, you'll see people 
hear people talking, but their mouths aren't moving, and you'll use different shots, and you sort of play around with that. It feels very dreamlike. It feels very uh, meditative, and it's kind of like a... It's kind of like just laying on the beach. Like, there's something very... Um, sensual about the editing and the and the shots and everything. It Thank feels you. it feels like a little getaway. It does. Well I also studied guided meditation before this movie. Really? I'm really into guided meditation. Yeah. It's relatively so, new. So I wanted to I wanted to give the audience sort of I wanted to put him into a slight trance state so that it just became sort of fluid and dreamy. Yeah, and it did. You succeeded. What kind of guided meditations do you do? Um, Do you have favorites? I do. There's a woman named Connie Ray Andreas. Okay. And she has a great thing called Healing Meditations that's out. And I listen to that, like, I don't know, a couple times a week. Right. There's, um, oh, there's some other ones. Uh, But yeah, it's, I just, I love sort of. Listening to it in the evening when I'm cooking, it sort of resets the day. And I agree. Yeah. How awesome. how has it affected you doing meditation? Um, it's a I don't know. I'm much calmer. Right. I don't have a lot of anxiety. Um, I've learned that there's no such thing as a problem. It's there's only the only thing that exists is my reaction and resourcefulness to what someone else considers a problem. What Enzo, buddy? I'm sorry. We have a third guest, but we'll he'll be good. Um, what a skill to have as a director, where there's no such thing as a problem. Right? Have you directed a film yet? Having having done the meditation, I did. I did in your life. Yeah, was I mean, it different? It was totally different. I mean, El Gonzo was shot really pretty soon after, so it it wasn't fully right in my whole being. Yeah, every day. yeah you were relatively new. Yeah, and then um, in March I directed. The Elvis Lives movie, and so that was like the really the first one right. that I could implement what I've learned and all that. I love it. So, um, where did you get your actors for Elgonzo? They're really good. Susan Trailer, I've worked with a few times. She was in my film Firecracker, and she was in Stuck and in Casserole Club. And when this came up, I thought, well, who do I know that's so good you can throw anything at her? And and so I just asked her to. Do I it. bet she fucking loved it. Yeah. As an actor, it's such a great. You want to go to Mexico in this beautiful place. Play a really rich character, get to really collaborate and bring a lot to it. I yeah. think she was in acting heaven. Totally. I think both of them, and Anselm was incredible to work with too, and I hadn't met him actually until we got to the set. How did you find him? Um, Daniela C., who was in Casserole Club, okay. um, had recommended him. Right. You know, and they, they'd done something together, and then um, we talked on the phone and we just really hit it off. And it was interesting because a lot of us on the crew and in the cast were at a point in our lives that was sort of like the beginning of the next chapter. Right. Or we were all about to turn the new leaf, and that's what the film was about. So it was a really, like, personal experience for everybody involved, which was really neat. How long ago did you shoot it? Um, that would have, We shot it in late summer of uh, 14. Okay, a couple years ago. Yeah. Awesome. And has it played a lot of festivals around the world? It did. That's basically all we did in 2015, was take it. Run around to festivals. Yeah. Do you do you love festivals or do, I do you get burned out? Well, no, I love. Well, it depends on what they are. I love them. I do too. I mean, I especially if they're in random places. Like we, right. El Gonzo got into the Salento International Film Festival in Italy, and I'm like, where's that? You know? Yeah. And, Salento. Yes, which is the heel of the boot. Oh, interesting. Um, and then when I was researching that area, I found that the uh, the waters there and the beaches are known as the Caribbean of the Mediterranean, and they're stunning and they're just like really crystal clear and the sand's really soft. I would have never guessed that. Who that knew? Would be, exactly. So we, we all went and while we were there, we fell in love with that place. And, we're and like, you're like, I got to shoot a movie. We got to shoot a movie there too. Right. Now, um, how 
spontaneous did you decide was it when you decided to make El Gonzo? Because it feels like the kind of thing where you're like, I have a place, I have an idea, I can I can pull this together pretty quickly. Yeah, um, we. I don't know what the prep time was for it, but I um, it was fairly fast um, in the sense of. You know, I knew that the hotel was going to let us film there, and I was hoping to do it over the winter so that I could leave Kansas when it was snowing. Right. And they're like, oh, well, that's our high season, so you should come now, because you'll be able to move around, there won't be a lot of people there. Right. And so it was really hot, you know, and really crazy. But it was, I mean, it's it was a vacation. I mean, yeah. it was, let's go to some amazing, exotic place that's stunning, and the way that I shoot anyway is fairly um, easy. You know, it's a, basically a 9 to 5 right. movie. I never have 12-hour days, stuff like that. So there was plenty of time for the beach and, like, nice dinners and stuff. It was really a gift. I love it. Yeah. Now, how did you get the hotel? Well, I begged them to... Did well, you know of them? Or did, had you stayed there? Or how did you find it? I found it, a, weirdly, like a year or so prior. It was. It must have been when it opened, because it was. it's fairly new. And it was, I don't know, in an article in, like, Traveler or, you know, Condé Nast something. And, right. And um, it just said, this place is a boutique hotel that embraces artists... They have artist-in-residency programs for painters or musicians. Right. And I thought, I just got to set this... I got to remember this someday. Right. And I, I had, didn't think of it twice until I was cleaning my desk and this thing came up. And I thought, oh, yeah, the hotel. I should email them. <laughs> maybe I can go make a movie there. Exactly. So, so you said, hey, I love this. This sounds amazing. Yeah. I'd like to maybe shoot something there. And they said, is that how you... How it, was, you- it was weird because I, I, w- I just... I, yeah, I emailed them and I said, you know... Um, I have this great story, and I think if we set it there, it'd be really great. Um, how about if we come and you let us sort of have the run of the place for three weeks? And they're like, okay. And I'm Amazing. like, and I'm like, really? And then I was thinking, oh, let next winter, you know? And they're like, how about in three months? And I'm like, uh, I guess we could pull it together. That's awesome. Yeah. So did you pay any location fee above just staying at the hotel? No. Wow. Yeah. And, and then you stayed there. We stayed there, right. right. And then um, one of the days that was like our second or third day, we got a driver to take us to one of the nearby towns, and that guy became Antonio, who appears in the movie as the taxi driver. Yeah. And he was He's with us. really winning. He is, was with us every day and said, oh, you should come see his hometown, which is called Miraflores. Right. And then um, we met his family. Those are actually his family. Wait, when we go to the house mm-hmm. and there's the food yeah. and everything like that. It was so magical. And, and so luckily neat. we found him because he was able to take us places we would have never found otherwise. Right. I love it. It does have that real sense of place, and you go into the boutiques, and you see the, the different things for sale, and the just the hospitality, and the, it made me, I was like, I want to go to Mexico yeah, so bad. I highly recommend it. The, I love that. The place, and the people, and the food is unreal. It's amazing. So how many feature films have you made since you started? 16. 16. <laughs> That's amazing. And you've done it all independently, uh-huh. and you've done much of it, or all of it, out of your place in Kansas, right? right? Yeah. You started your own mini studio. Uh-huh. And you, like you said, you work nine to five or whatever, regular day. Like, you don't seem like even shoot in the normal way. Like, no. do you do like call sheets and all the stuff that production does? Or did you sort of kind of just come up with your own system that worked for you? When I was producing my own things in the past, right. I have what I call the master plan which sort of takes place of the call sheets and stuff. Right. Um, and it's just a Word document that I developed. And one of the secrets that I use is attaching the, the clock to a shooting day. So if I know that 9 a.m. is call time, then we have an hour for setup. 10 o'clock we're starting. And if I average around 90 minutes per page, 
of the script, which is fairly fast, I know what, how much time to allot. So while I'm scheduling it, I can plan to make sure that the day's not grueling and that it's okay because I'm sort of averaging out at that speed. Um, and then I know if it's 2.30 in the afternoon, what should we be doing? Right. Right? But um, other times, you know, when I have worked on projects for other producers or other production companies and they have to have their call sheets and the lineup, you know, all these yeah. things. I tell them that's great because most people in this industry speak that language. Right. It's very much a set yeah. standard. But what I'd also like to do is have you take this master plan and make that available to everyone also. Right. And the, at first they don't get it. And the first couple of days, you know, if they're new people on the crew or it's a new team, they sort of, um, they're like, Oh, what is this doing? Whatever. But then you find out that it's working and you never have a 12 hour day and everybody knows what time it is and where, what we're doing. Um, you know, the makeup lady knows that what's going up at 2.15 is going to happen at 2.15. You know, right. it's like all that. It's really, really And pretty good. soon they t- start taking to the master plan. They're like, hey, yes. I may use this on my next movie. Exactly. In fact, some of them have. Right. You know, there were a couple of people on the crew um, I had lunch with, you know, a couple of weeks ago um, on this one project. And uh, they said we, they implemented the ma- master plan on you their You call it the master plan. That's what I do. It's funny. I think it's so great that you have your own <laughs> thing. Now, do you work with a lot of the same people over and over again in terms of crew and DP and... I have. And... Do you have your own little sort of, you know how John Waters has his little group in Baltimore, and mm-hmm. do you have that same thing going on in Kansas? Well, when I lived in Kansas, I had it, but they came in for it. Right. You know, so um, a, a very good friend of mine who's a producer at Hallmark in Kansas City still lives there. Right. Um, but, you know, my DPs always came in from outside, right. and, and their ACs and the crew, they came from elsewhere. And what was your town called? What's your town called in Kansas? Wamigo. Wamigo, and it's quite small. It is. It's like 5,000. Three 000. restaurants. Yes, 5,000 people. Yeah, my hometown growing up was 5,000 people. I cool. have a sense of how big that was. Did you have stoplights? Like four. I mean, there yeah. weren't many. Did you have a, a movie theater? No. No. But we were sort of, it wasn't quite a suburb, but there's a, a college town 15 minutes away okay. that has everything. So That's good. Yeah. So there you go. So what about getting actors when you're based there? Do you find them from other places, or do you find local talent that's really undiscovered and great? Both. Yeah. I mean, you know, like in Firecracker, Karen Black, you know, who's like Oscar Golden Globe movie star, right? Yes, and this was like your second feature? It was my second feature. Amazing. I was in my 20s. Roger Ebert loved it. Yeah. That must have made it. I love Roger Ebert. I do too. When he, when he shined on your movie, were you like, oh, Roger I Ebert? I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I landed in Chicago. I was headed to the opening that night in the festival. Right. I'm in the taxi reading... The whole page in the Chicago Sun-Times, which was like a love letter, and I just would start bawling. It was amazing. That's amazing. So yeah. it was getting ready to play at a festival in Chicago, and that's mm-hmm. why Roger Ebert was writing about it. Yeah, it was the opening night film of the Chicago Underground Film Festival in 2005. And he just loved it. Yeah. I love that. I haven't gotten to see Firecracker. Oh, I, uh, so good. I want to see it. it. Karen Black, and it seemed a little... I watched the trailer. It seemed a little Lynchian. It seemed a little Mulholland drive yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's surrealist for sure. Yeah. Um, and but in that film, I cast her next to a rock star, Mike Patton from Faith No More. Right. Next to an 18 year old kid from Topeka, Kansas, who'd never done anything in his life, and it worked. So it's like you, if you can be open to combining talent in that way, it's fun. So when I even if I'm flying people in from L.A. or New York, I still open up a casting for region because right. there's talented people everywhere. For sure. Yeah. What's it like to go to Karen Black and say, hey? I've made one other movie. I'm here in Kansas. I really want you to be in this movie. Well, she she turned me down like 10 times. Really? Yeah. She's like, oh, I can't do that. And then one of the times she said, okay, look, when I played, the character's really draining. And she and Mike were both playing two parts. Right. Um, 
And this film actually shows. It's the 11-year anniversary next Saturday at the arena. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. I'll try to come and see it on the big screen. That would be amazing. Yeah, it's a matinee on, at 4 p.m. Okay. And it, we had the whole print redone, so it's like HD quality. It's incredible looking. I love it. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, but uh, we... She had played um, Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean. One of my favorite movies. I went right? and saw that like three nights in a row in college. I went one night and loved it so much I went back. I became kind of obsessed with it. Yeah, she, she said that playing a part of a person sort of trapped in their body was so painful that she didn't want to live through something like that again. And this character has something very similar. So she just kept saying, I don't want to do that because yeah, it's can't. just such a horrible place to be for right. so long. And But then she, after she met me... And she realized how I am just in general. She's like, oh, that's different because then it's a safer environment. Did you come out and meet her? And, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would not take no for an answer, so I showed up at her house. I mean, we had a plan, too. I didn't just show up. Yeah. Um, and we went to lunch a couple of times, and then um, she said, okay, I'll do it. Why her? Was she just the right person? She's so interesting in the sense that, like, she's kind of like a, a wild cat. Yeah. You know? And the way that she moves... She and Jessica Lang have this thing where it's like... On one hand, it gives me a little bit of anxiety and it makes me want to itch my skin. Right. Because they're, the way they move is just so curious. There's something me. feral about it. Yeah. And um, the, you know, the other part is you don't know what she's going to do at any moment. Right. So you can't look away. Because you're going to miss it if you if you look away. So Was that what it was like directing her? Was every take different? Was it... It was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she and I would discuss, like, before filming, you know, let's dial it down. And all the sort of decisions were already made so that then when you get in there, it's just an exploration of being in the moment. And right. it was pretty cool. I love that. You've made 16 movies in how many years? 20. 20. What is it about your personality and your drive that, can, that made that possible? Like, you have, you, you, I read a quote that you said where you just, like, there's no such thing as can't. You won't take no for an answer. You're very, like, committed and driven on this. Sure. Do you ever get beat up and feel like, oh, fuck, I can't keep doing this? Or do, I, no. I, it, but, I really admire it. I think it's amazing. But it's interesting. Were you always like that? Like, in school and stuff like that? I didn't excel academically, if that's right. what I mean. Um, I didn't take it very seriously at all. Um, the, uh, well, I just was raised with everything's possible. All you have to do is figure out how to do it. Right. You know, and it's, and I get a little... Um, and you got that from growing up with your parents. Yes. And I also have a little bit of, of um, aversion to authority. So if someone tells me I can't do something, I have to. You want to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's just like a, a drive that's a little dangerous sometimes. So like when someone says, you can't film in London without permits and make an action movie for less than $20,000. And I said, want to watch me? And you did it. I did it. An action movie. <laughs> yeah. Car crashes. Kind of. Kind of. Cars. Cars. Nothing blew up. Nothing blew up. But it was still... I mean, it was sort of Scooby-Doo-ish. It wasn't... Right. It wasn't like I was shooting you know, Born Identity. Exactly. <laughs> now, you... I read that your father is your business partner. He started out with me as my um, advisor and sort of... When I got back from school, when I left CalArts, I said, okay, I'm going to make a movie. He said, all right, how are you going to finance it? And I said, well, I don't know. And I, I was young and I didn't know. One of, the, one of the ways you can finance a film is to by charging it on your credit card, you know, or whatever it is. Um, he said, well, that's stupid. Why don't you treat it like a business and, you know, actually make a business plan and, you know, I'll help you do that. I'll help you make the business plan. And then you go and you sit down with investors and you, you just treat it differently. So he, as a businessman, taught me how to look at it in a both artistic way, but also a business sense. 
And I think that was really valuable. And of course, then as I... it sustained you for film after film after film. Yeah. And then as I kept making more and more and more, his involvement became less and less and less because I I had learned it already. What was his business? Um, He ran a subsidiary of Caterpillar for years and now makes construction equipment attachments for the mining and rail industries. All right. So nothing to do with film, but the process by which you run a business is the same. What was his take on your ideas and your vision and your scripts? And he's like, well, I don't know about... In other words, what, what did he have to say about the creative? Or was he like, you do your thing? You know, I don't remember Pep Squad because that was such a strange... You know, I mean, it, it, you know, if you start That was your off, first film. My first film, and it was a campy satire on school violence in the vein of, like, Serial Mom. You know, right. it's like a John Waters-type experience. And... I don't know why they thought it was such a good idea, but like people did, you know, right. um, maybe it was cause it was new at the time for a lot of people. Um, firecracker though is based on a true crime that happened blocks from where I, we grew up. Right. And my dad was young enough. He doesn't remember it, but his sister, his older sister who was 17 at the time was on the alley when they dug up the body. So wow. there were these people that it was a personal event. It was this tragedy that happened that people were right there for. So regardless of how twisted that movie is, it was, it's, you know, part of our history. Right. And people felt connected to it. Yeah. And wanted to support it. Mm-hmm. Now you went to CalArts. Mm-hmm. Um, did you graduate? No. You left early? I did. Um, when I was a kid, I were like in high school, I just remember getting a brochure for CalArts. I grew up in a little town in Arizona mm-hmm. and it seemed like the best place in the world because the first floor was music and the second floor was dancing and the third floor was acting. It just felt like... I like fame college and it was like, it sounded like everything I wanted and I could never afford it in a million years. So you lived my dream basically. What was it like? Well, it's certainly an experience. Right. And coming from Kansas, I mean, by the time I got there, it had mellowed down a bit. Um, but it was still pretty wild in the sense that, um, clothing optional at the dorm pools was really totally fine. So um, there would be naked people in the dorm pools. Yes. At CalArts. That's yeah. amazing. It was, it was great was that to exciting? see. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I walked into the school one day and went down the hallway on my way to class and there were two people having sex in the hallway. Teachers were just walking by like nothing was happening. Oh my God. And I thought, what am I, did I miss? And yet you dropped out. And I thought, did I miss something in the brochure? You know, like, what is this? So I went to my dean and I asked him because I was just really curious. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on here? He said, well, we believe that as long as you aren't hurting yourself or other people, you can do whatever you want here because if you as a person don't like what you see, you have the power to turn around and walk away. And I thought, wow, as a life lesson, that was one of the most important things that I learned there. Um, it was a party school in the sense that, you know, there, there was an art project that somebody had. And when you're in in the art school, you do like a pretend art opening, but it's real because you're showing your work. Right. There was this one where there was this big tarp in the middle of this auditorium and it was hung straight from the ceiling all the way to the ground. And there were these little peepholes cut in it. And you looked in the peephole and there was a live orgy happening inside. Holy and shit. And this was the art project. And then, yeah, I didn't read the artist statement, but it, it, was, <laughs> <laughs> it was this place where, okay. The artist statement was, let's fuck. Sure. And it was in my third year, the first semester of my third year, when I realized simultaneously, I had never had a mid-residency review. And I went to my dean and I asked him why I didn't. And he said, master's students don't get them. And I said, but I'm an undergrad. And he said, well, really? Because I had been evaluated as a master's student in the program. And I, it was like an accident somehow. Um, but I also wasn't helping any because if they said, go shoot a short on texture, 
I came back with a two and a half hour version of the vampire was that, you know, like, I, right. so because I just didn't think that way. I didn't know. Um, so he said, come do independent study with me. And on Mondays I would go in to see him and he told me to stop going to all my classes. He would hand me a bunch of Hitchcock films and say, go analyze these and come back with your report on Friday. And we did that for like three months. And by the time I got finished doing that, I was really tired of the partying and I really just wanted to go and make a movie. I was, I was tired of right. the waiting around for it. Right. So it was a, it seems like a mixed bag. Like it seems like that was amazing special attention. But then there was this other, the whole party environment. It's sort of like, at a certain point you're like, I need to get out of here. Right. I mean, it's fun to do that when you're from Kansas and you've never explored those things. Yeah. Um, but then it's like, okay, enough of the party. Yeah. You know? It seems like Kansas is that state where people say, well, will they listen? Will they buy it in Kansas? Or there's that book, What's Wrong With Kansas? Like, it mm-hmm. seems like the, the state people grab on to describe something about middle America. It's, it's a good one to do that, though, too. Yeah. I so think, tell me about Kansas. Well, aside from Lawrence, which is where William Burroughs lived, and it's sort of a college town. Are you friends from Lawrence? Yeah. It's great. It's a good place. Um, bands actually play there. You know, people come there. Right. <laughs> Um, Is the, that the college town that you're close to? I'm between that one and another one. Okay. The other college town that I'm closest to is more agriculture-based. Okay. Um, it's a it's a fairly rural state, and there are a lot of people that just live simple lives, and I don't know if they even know that they're conservative. Right. You know, after 9-11, it was, you know, three or four years later, and I was in the local diner, and these farmers were sitting around the table, and it was on 9-11, you know, years later, and they said, which building was it? Um, was it the Empire State Building? And they're like, no, it wasn't that one. Which one was it? And they didn't know about it. And I thought, wow, these guys who are out in the fields have no care about what's going on outside of here. Yeah. And that was just a, a weird, it, it, like, romantic in one way to just be a, have a simple life where just you just cared don't about know. the crops. Yeah. And then how crazy it was that I was living in that environment. Yeah, for so long. Sure. Well, but I, you obviously loved it, or you obviously you stayed. It was a really you. I had a four thousand bedroom house. It was this Victorian mansion. My right. mortgage was nine hundred and fifty dollars a month. Right. So it, it you could live really well for not much, and I knew that I could just get to the airport in a half an hour and go. Out. And, and you're in the middle of the country, so you could go right. wherever. Um, shooting there is it like in LA? Everyone's jaded and seen it all, and you can't shoot here. And where's my check? In Kansas, I bet, like, oh, they want to put our house in a movie? Great. Totally. And in fact, they not only would give it to you for free, but they would offer to cook a barbecue for dinner. <laughs> That's amazing. Did that happen over and over? It did. I love that. Yeah. You know what? Let's go back to that one house for that other movie, because that barbecue was really good. Totally. It works. And we do sometimes. It's really, You go back because you're mean, like... We have. Yeah. I, not, I don't... You, you exhaust it after a You know, I really am craving Chinese. Maybe we shoot something. Totally. Yeah, I love that. I love that. How... How do you stay so prolific? Are you thinking of your next project while you're working on your previous one? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also, I like learning about new things. So, for instance, I've never done a Western or a science fiction. Um, nothing's on the plate right now to do one of those, but right. I can't wait to learn about how to make one. So, as soon as something comes across that's like that, then that'll be the thing. Um, but yeah, it's like I'm casting now for something that we'll probably shoot in the fall, and... I already have been working with the writer to do the next thing. Um, so it's, I like, I mean, now it's different because it's, it's sooner in, in, you know, prior to 2012, I did maybe one feature a year, maybe one. The Woody Allen model. Yeah. Um, because I was also involved in the prep, the writing, the organization, the fundraising, the editing, the post, I was in charge of everything. The festivals, you had to do it all. Right. So it wasn't like I could just walk on as a director and go home at night. Yeah. That's amazing. And if you look at all your films, they're so different. Mm. You know, Helltown is this kind of campy horror 
teen movie, yeah. and then you know the, uh, the the one that we were talking about, the Mexican one, El Gonzo, El Gonzo uh, totally different. And you were saying that you want to move into science fiction. You want to try. Sure. Uh, is it important for you to 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 do all kinds of different things? Yes. I mean, I. I see the value of doing and, you know, revisiting things. Right. You know, Helltown was very much like my first film, Pep Squad. Yeah. It was very campy, both of them, very satirical, you know, over the top, ridiculous. And I just was itching to do another one of those. You know, yeah. I feel like I should do one of those every 10 years because it's fun. Yeah. Um, but I also love new things that are challenges. Right. You know, like I, um, I had a horrible breakup uh, from somebody who had betrayed me and we had been together for more than a decade. And three weeks later, I had to shoot a love story. And it was the hardest, most challenging thing to do. And it, it was awesome at the same time. What movie was it? That was called Occupying Ed, which right. has done the festival circuit and has sold in like South Korea and some other places in Europe, but not in the United States yet, which I think is very curious. Wow. How many years ago was that? Uh, that was 20... It was filmed in 2013, yeah. so it would have come out early 2014. Now, what's fun about Helltown, I thought, is... I love that you presented as lost episodes of a TV series, yeah. even though it was always meant to be a feature. You, yeah, that was that's sort of the framing device, and it's, it's introduced by this TV host, and that's sort of fun because you just imagine that you're just seeing things that were sort of left on the cut, you know, that were stuck in an archive somewhere, yeah. and you don't really know what happened before and after. It's this ongoing soap. Is it fun to figure out how people die in oh my those God. movies? It was so exciting. Yeah. Um, How do you... You're like, I would love somebody to die like this. Yeah. Well, when we were researching... Because I'm not a huge fan of horror films. Right. So I never really watched any of these. Um, I had to research. And so I watched uh, Sleepaway Camp. Right. And there's this film... Or the scene in it where this guy is in a bathroom stall. And it's very suspenseful. There's like a broom handle that goes to, you know, lock him in, you know, in the, um, in the stall. And then someone lowers a live beehive into the window above him. And then, of course, he dies. He, he's stung to death, you know, inside. Insane. Totally. And I thought, okay, we've got to use a bathroom stall. What do we all know about bathroom stalls that would be really fun to play right. with? Um, Glory like hole! Yes. Right. And so in the film, I mean, it might as well just be a public service announcement against that activity. Right. Um, but, yeah, we would just think of, like, okay, and, and the, the different ways to kill people are, are exciting. You know, somebody murders themselves. Right, that was amazing. <laughs> that was my favorite one. Yeah, that, that, I think that was kind of my favorite one too. Cause she was so deranged. Oh, and, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now you've got a, you're involved, and you just shot something called Elvis Lives. Yes. Now this one seems more like you were hired to do it, Correct. as opposed to like you started it from the ground up. Yeah. Um, how did that happen? Um, quickly. Yeah. Uh, I the guys who produced it, the Asylum, they're the ones who did Sharknado and. All those things. Love it. They actually distributed Pep Squad, my first film, okay. back in the day. And they were just distributors at that time, in the late 90s. And um, I have always known them, and when I come to town, sometimes we'd have lunch or whatever. And we've talked about working together before, but it just never came up. And they said, we've got this thing coming up, I think you should do it. And I'm like, alright, you know. And it was like, I'm like, when? I don't know, you know, like, right. thinking ahead. Um, it was three weeks away. and Holy shit. I think casting had already started. The script wasn't even finished yet, but I read what I read and I made some notes and then that was it. And we were just thrust into it. You're thrown into it. It's called Elvis lives mm -hmm. and, and it imagines it, Elvis, if Elvis had lived. Yeah. It's sort of, it's about leading up, you know, the last two months of his life and how he goes into the witness protection program. Right. And that he now lives in Michigan or right. whatever the hell. And, uh, I just, I just thought it was really fun, you know, and the, the thrill of, directing something and not having any other 
responsibility was a gift for, at the time. Did you do the master plan? I did the master plan. I um, and How then did it, it go? It, were they into it? it? They were so into it, but they didn't really get into it until a couple of days into it. And then um, they're like, oh my God, this is working. You were right. I mean, when I told them all, we will never have a 12-hour day, they all panicked, like the production team. We're not going to How are we going to get it? We're not going to get a shot. Yeah, or like, don't tell them that. Don't promise it. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I can promise it because I'm not going to be here. I'm going to go home. So yeah. that's just how it works. But then, you know, I taught them how to schedule. I taught them how to use the master plan. And by the end of it, they were like, this is revolutionary. And I feel like I missed the boat trademarking it, you know, at this right. point. But um, I feel like it's also, it should be like Tesla. You know, that should just give it out. You know, people should have that. It'll make life better for everyone. So you're going to be magnanimous with your master plan. Sure. Let people do it. Now, um, how did um, the Elvis get cast? Did you get cast? Did you Were you involved in casting or was that already done when you were brought in? It was already happening and I wasn't really that involved. And what would happen... They're happened, like, here's your Elvis. Kind of. Yeah. Um, what they would do is they would send me the selects. You right. know, their top, you know, ten for each right. person. And then I just sent them back my top three choices. And all of my choices were picked except one who couldn't do it. And so the number two did that for that part, but it was a smaller part. Um, Elvis was really hard to find. Yes. Everybody that they had auditioned just didn't quite work. And I think it's hard. I saw that movie Elvis and Nixon with Michael Shannon Mm -hmm. and I didn't love him in it. Really? Yeah. And he's a great actor. I don't know. I I mean, he's probably good. Other people probably did, but you know what? I think it's hard. It is hard. And luckily we found Jonathan nation who plays him. He was cast officially Saturday night and was filming on Monday morning. Isn't that insane? That, but it feels like your whole career's like that. It feels like yeah. everything is fast like that. Sure. And you roll with it. Sure, yeah. I mean, he luckily grew up idolizing Elvis and he was his hero. He knew more about Elvis than anybody. Right. So that was great. It was a good gift. And when he sang um, Love Me Tender to Me and you close your eyes, it sounds exactly like him. Right. It was the craziest thing. So I thought, oh God, he's totally our guy. And it was really fun to work with them. And, you know, I, being usually I like to work with my actors yeah. beforehand. And I said, you know, this time we don't get the chance. So I told them some advice Karen Black gave me once about going in the unknown and just discovering things and being really present and exploring. And I said, let's just do that and see. How did you say it? Well, I said, she told me a secret about being alive is that it's in the unknown. And, like, if you're going down this road a thousand times and you know, there's a tree coming up, you know, there's a village coming up. Um, you don't really pay attention. You're not, pre- you don't have to be present. Yeah. Cause you know it. you go on autopilot, but if you've never been down there before and you have no idea what's coming up, you have to be really focused, really alert and really aware. And there's no better place to be. And I said, okay, well there you go. So let's That's just have fun. Do. Yeah. And then they really liked it. All the actors really liked it. That's awesome. Would you, um, direct a Sharknado movie if they ask you? Depending upon the situation. Sure. Yeah. Those are fun. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. They're good. Um, and Mark Cuban is in the mix, right? Mark, it was for his channel. He was, um, it was for Mark Cuban's AXS TV and he hired the asylum to make this movie and then they hired me. So if people wanted to watch Elvis Lives, they go to AXS.com. Well, I don't, it it aired on the It's on a, it would be on a cable channel. It's on, yeah, it's, well, I think you can also get it on Amazon and I don't know where. I mean, it's available. Out there. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Why did you decide to move to LA now? You made 16 films. I turned 40. Yeah. I went to Italy for a month. Nice. And um, I had a great lover in Italy. You took a lover? I took a lover in, in Venice. Did his last name end in O? You know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like his first name was a Fla- Livio or Flavio or Enzo or Fabrizio. 
It was Antonio. Antonio. See? He was a blonde Italian, too, which was very curious to me. I love the northern. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he taught me how to be a really good lover and how to just open up. And I had already started the meditation stuff, so I was very familiar with the five senses and, like, you know, yes. just soaking all that up. And I thought, I have been doing the same thing for 20 years. And now that I have this newfound knowledge, I'm going to first bring it back to the United States and teach as many lovers as I possibly can this secret, you know. The Italian, you, you, you're like, eat, pray, loving it. Sure. You're under the Tuscan sunning it. It's yes. like the gay version of that. Totally. And then, but, so then I was like, okay, well, I want new experiences for my next 20. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to live in Paris for a year. I would like to know that. Yeah. I've never lived in Los Angeles. It seems practical that this is where I would go first, but um, at the same time, you know, I don't necessarily want to live here forever, for sure. Yeah. You want to try it. Yeah. So if you hadn't had that experience in Italy, you might not have moved to L.A. I, did, I didn't know I was moving to L.A. until four days before I did. Um, yeah. I was in San Francisco doing some meetings. I had thought about moving to London, um, and it just so happened that there were about five or six things that lined up right at the right moment. And I said, if I don't go now, these five or six things aren't going to line up again. So I just took it as a signal to go. And I picked it. And, the, and this apartment just came up, and I had 48 hours to decide and get here. Perfect. Yeah. Where did you meet your Italian lover? Um, Grinder. Love it. Awesome. Originally. But it was so interesting what because... What city were you in? Or what Venice. We didn't Venice. leave Venice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Are you yeah. still in touch? We are. I saw him again in the fall when we were there at Salento. We stopped off in Venice. Nice. And uh, he had, you know, lunch and dinner with, like, my dad and, like, my friend and stuff. It was really sweet. I mean, it was sort of like the first time we met, we dated for three weeks, and then we finally started, like, you know, having sex and stuff at the end of it. It wasn't like it started there. It was the curious... It was very strange. I don't need to get too explicit or whatever, but what was it about how he was in that way that was so um, altering? It, it, It was... He didn't know he was doing it. Right. right. He didn't sit down and say, here's how to be a good lover, and here's right. the things. But I, I became... And you mean lover in terms of in the bedroom. You don't yeah. necessarily mean... Well, all of lover, it. All of it. Sure, all of it. I mean, he was very, very genuine, gentle, compassionate, caring, um, very intimate, even if you're clothed at a restaurant. It was, it was sort of opening up the senses, being aware of who you are. And after, you know, shit, almost... Well, it was 40 years at that time. Yeah. I had never looked inward about what was I feeling or sensing or hearing or tasting or smelling or seeing in this moment with a, another person, whether it's at dinner or in the bedroom or on, you know, a trip somewhere. And it was so revolutionary for me to like soak up. I felt like I was 19. I mean, I felt like I had literally had just been reborn in some way. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Does he have a friend? Maybe another person he's very strange I don't think he has any friends at all <laughs> I mean he's, he's an art critic um, he's studying art theory or something he's a calligraphy teacher yet he owned like the top floor of this amazing palazzo and I'm like what's going Some, there's something about Antonio fantastic. that I, I don't know the mystery of him yet but amazing would that inspire a movie oh absolutely it did actually Oh yeah, it's I haven't, I haven't already... done it yet, but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 I love it. And I actually, it was funny because right after that experience, I got a call from Sean Young, and I told her sort of about it. Go back, wait. <laughs> you got a call from Sean Young. That's it was amazing. Crazy. It was so good. It was really. Did crazy. you know her from before? No, I saw her once in real life at Karen Black's funeral, but right. I didn't even know they knew each other. And then, um, I know she liked something on Facebook of mine, and I was like, 
wait, Sean Young just likes something. That's really yeah. random. So I reached out and then she called me and we spoke and I said, hey, how about we work together? And I told her this concept and she was like, awesome, yeah, great. This has to do with the, the Italy concept. Yeah, because I was like, I want this woman to have five lovers, each lover representing one aspect of the perfect relationship and set in, in Europe and might even be spoken entirely in a different language. I don't know. Right. It's still like in the development You're of figuring that. figuring it out. Yeah, I need a writer and I need a producer and then we'll go do it. There you go. The first movie of yours that I saw, I think, was Casserole Club, because mm. my friend Garrett was in it, mm. um, and Kevin Richardson, Backstreet Boy. Yeah. He was really good. He's so good. Yeah. How did you... Did you reach out to him? Was he looking to get into acting? How do you decide, hey, I'm going to see if that guy from the Backstreet Boys wants to be in this movie? I, well, I didn't ask that question. Yeah. But it was funny, because he had just finished um, Chicago on Broadway. Right. And he had quit the band, and he was pursuing acting. And I think he was in an acting class with Garrett Swan. And then Garrett called me up and said, I know this guy. Would you ever think about casting a Backstreet Boy? And I knew who they were, but I wasn't I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. You know, I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. I have to go and do some research. And when I saw him, I'm like, oh, I know Kevin. You know, as soon as I saw his face, I knew who he was. Right. And I mean, I knew their music. I don't know if I owned any of their music, but I, okay. I knew it. Um, it's fine. I like it. I mean, yes. now that I know him, I love it. You know, it's like, yeah, I, love I want it that way as a classic. Sure. Oh, of course. And, um, I talked to him and the part is so dark and, and intense that I just thought if he wants to showcase the fact that he can act, this is going to be really good for him. And he loved it and he did it and he won an award for it and it was amazing. And it was great. And he was fun to work with yeah. in school and all that stuff. I love that. And that was set in Palm Springs. It was yes. really retro and... It was, like, set in the 60s, right? Yeah, it was 69 is when it happened. When you shoot a period movie, I mean, this is such an obvious question, but how hard is it to make sure there's no anachronisms? Is it, how hard is it to make sure, like, oh, that car can't be parked there? It's really hard, but luckily that story lent itself to avoiding a lot of those things. Right. Um, and I deliberately rented houses that were outfitted like period. Yeah. But, you know. There's a lot of places that do that. Do that. Yes. And then I, Jane Weedlin from the Go-Go's is a good right. friend of mine and she, I really value her opinion and her eyes in the world, right? And just her knowledge. So I asked her to come on. She had a small part, but I wanted her to be there every day to be sort of my right hand eyes to w look at every set, every shot, every room for period accuracy and just making sure that we got it. And it was great. And she was into it? Yeah. She was like, I'll be there for you. Yeah. I love that. You know really cool Hollywood people. It's really random, and I don't know how it happened. Because uh, I was like thinking Sean about... Like Sean Young and Karen Black and Jane Weedland. It's weird. Who else? And I lived in Kansas. Um, I know. I, I met Jennifer Jason Lee at an Easter party, and she knew who I was. I mean, it was just the weirdest, yeah. weirdest stuff. I mean, it's... I think it was because when I was younger, I didn't know any different. I didn't know I couldn't get to somebody. Right. So, I mean, when I was... In third grade, I think it was, I was writing letters to Duran Duran telling them they should come and play at prom. You know, like, I didn't know that that was not possible. I love your confidence. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Were you, were you raised to believe you could do anything? Yeah. That's amazing. Your I mean, parents I was, said, you can do this. You can sure. do whatever you want. Well, they also said no to a, quite often to a lot of things. Right. But um, but no, not because it wasn't possible. No. Everything not was possible, because, but no, you shouldn't do this because yeah. you whatever. Um but if I really wanted to do something and it was okay with them, sure. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, you, you shot in Hong Kong. I did. What film was that? It was called Far Flung Star. Amazing. Yeah. So how much time did you spend there before you like figured out how you could make a movie there? I had been there once before. Right. Um, actually, two different sets of times. So like one time for like three or four days and one time for just two days or something. Right. And so I, I knew it enough. And I knew that if I just had a local group, 
I had already made the film in London and I knew I was, I became a little, okay. I smoked tobacco and I drank alcohol. I don't do any other drugs, but I became an addict on stealing shots, like stealing a movie. Um, so when we were in London doing the no- like like shoplifting almost, it's Basically, like kleptomania. It is. It's like film kleptomania. Yeah, and I had it really bad for a couple of years, and you know after we finished the like London- you wanted to shoot where you can't shoot. Yeah. So see what happened was I read this article about it may have been Tom Cruise, but I don't know if it was anymore. I don't remember, but it was like somebody like that wanted to shoot an action scene or just any scene at the giant Buddha on Lantau Island outside of Hong Kong, and they were told no. And I thought, well, that means I have to do it. That's some craziness. That's (laughs) some craziness. And so you did it? I did it. And, I mean, I found out that shooting in Hong Kong, they're much more film friendly. Right. So you don't need permits um, on the streets and stuff like that. Right. Um, But this place was closed for commercial photography, and the monastery that ran it just wouldn't allow that. So I thought, well, let's look like tourists then. You know, like, let's wear some backpacks, put the camera gear in that and stuff, and let's just look normal, go in there, and act like we're tourists. Well, of course, I'm like, well, yeah, but, you know, the person with the kidnapper, she's got a gun, so we have a gun present, which is not always right. the best that, thing. they kind of found that. Yeah. Public places um, like that. And so we get there, and we're walking. There's like a thousand steps to get up to this statue. And we're walking up and looking around. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take the camera out and shoot some of us going up there, you know? Because, um, like, somebody who has a gun behind these two, she's like, go up the steps, you know, get up there, yeah. because they're going to find this, you know... The red herring, you know. Right. And um, we do, and nobody notices. We get it to the top, and it's a pretty heavy dialogue scene. It's like two pages of dialogue. And I'm like, okay, and I'm like spinning around them the whole time, right? And I'm my own DP. So and you're three people. Three actors, me, sound guy, um, maybe two other people, and then a second camera. There was, there was a good group of us, but it was still small No Jane Wheedland. No Jane Wheedland. No, no, no fam- Jane Wheedland. No famous up. people. <laughs> no famous people. Um, and then uh, we did the scene. Nobody noticed. And I said, okay, let's do it one more time just so we have a second take. And we did it and nobody noticed. So then I thought, well, shit, I'm just going to start getting coverage at this point, <laughs> you know? And then I got like, you know, the plants, the trees, the I worry that you're going to end up in like a North Korean prison. I don't know why. Well, it's a different right. country. Well, but I'm, wor- I'm worried sick about this story. That was the last one I okay. did that with. Because when I accomplished that, you, afterwards we walked down the hill and nobody said anything. We went into the monastery and had lunch. You know, it yeah. was like, it was great. But after that, I was like, okay enough of with this stealing yeah. movie shit stop that and go back to what you're doing and you know whatever that's so interesting yeah that's a fun idea for a movie though too sure. like somebody who can't stop himself <laughs> totally. stealing shots I've never heard that before <laughs> totally. now you got a shout out from Harvey Weinstein right with your first movie he called us directly yeah and he was really after Pep Squad it, it was Pep Squad that it he was Pep wanted. Squad yeah 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 but he called you out he saw it he watched it mm-hmm. he called you up and said hey I love it yeah that's cool yeah did you, were you like, hey, let's work together? Well, it was really interesting because that time he had, whoever his assistant was, was brand new. Yeah. And the assistant didn't know that I had a history. So the assistant thought I was in love with him. The assistant. Like, I would call all the time to, like, leave oh, messages right, right, for Harvey, right. but the assistant didn't know. So I don't even know if Harvey ever got them. We never talked again. But the assistant and I talked a lot. And then I realized he had my headshot on his desk. I don't remember what his name was, but it was a little weird. Right. Oh, wow. So he thought you had a thing going on. Yeah. With Harvey Weinstein's assistant. No, the assistant did. The assistant did. Thought that, yeah. Wow. That could have really changed everything for you in Hollywood if you played that right. I know. 
Well, and he was, I guess he was allegedly straight. Okay. I don't Interesting. know. Do you, would you like to do a mainstream Hollywood directing career? Sure. Would you like to do that? Hey, come and direct this episode of this, or we want you to direct this well, yeah, that's part action of it. comedy yeah. or whatever. We, I mean, that's part of the reason I moved here, because I have only done feature films. I've never done a short. I've right. never done a web series. I've never done a TV show. I've never done a commercial or a music video. Right. I, I want to have those experiences. What if I like them? I Actors don't know. seem to love you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true, right? Yeah. And you have a great thing with actors. Yeah. What is it about actors that you connect to or that moves you? Um, I'm I'm blown away by good actors. I find it yeah heroic and 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 kind of like magic, like almost supernatural when you're watching somebody do what they can do. Yeah, I I know enough about what the gifts are to know that when I don't understand what's going on, but they're incredible and it's magic to just trust that. So right. I try to make it so that. The set that I'm directing opens a safe, comfortable environment so that they can do what they do. And I don't need to know what it's like to be an actor, but I can recognize it and respect it and love and value their gifts and really appreciate it and let them blossom in that. And it's it's really great. What's the vibe like when you go in for meetings, like, you know, interviewing for directing jobs in a more mainstream world and they're like, you've been doing this on your own in Kansas for all these years and... Do they do they find do they think oh wow this is a guy that will be economical he's quick like what do they make of you or have you just are you just starting to get a taste of that I'm just starting to get a taste of it but I think they see the value in the efficiency yeah this guy gets system. shit done yeah I mean I think I save a lot of money for sure yeah a lot of time a lot of money um, I'm just really well organized prepared and resourceful in my brain you know I don't know. Um, I think they also don't know what to do with me because I have done so many different things that I, they're like, well, you know, have you ever done this or you're not the stoner comedy guy. You're not the romantic yeah, comedy exactly. guy. You're not the horror guy. Right. And so that's curious, you know, I yeah. mean, like I can do horror as you could see in Helltown, but it, Helltown's not a particularly a horror film, right? You know, it's more of a send up in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the kills in that scene, you know, in those scenes, yeah could be applied into a psychological thriller and it's still pretty gross, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting. Or, you know, romantic comedy, you know, it's like, I also cross genres a lot. So, um, if it's like a, a romantic dramedy, you know, that's a one, one kind of a note to play. Yeah. Um, I wonder what someone who is maybe looking for a director for a romantic comedy might think if they saw that and would they, I don't know if they would automatically <clears throat> suggest that, I'd be the one to do that or not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what's your dream gig? Um, right now, the thing I'm obsessed with. I mean, it changes all the time. You know that show Black Mirror from the UK? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's so good. You have to watch it. It's like okay. Twilight Zone. Every episode is its own thing. Okay. Um, and I would love a series like that. And at one point I heard that they were going to do that like here somewhere. Right. I'm like, I want one of those episodes, you know? Yeah. Just like... To play with different things. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm obsessed with right now. But that's like, a great thing. Yeah. It feels like a director could really go in and, and, and you know, show his stuff and still be part of something bigger. Yeah. That's great. Um, I read that you're clairvoyant. <laughs> Is that true? That's on IMDb. Sometimes. Did I, did I make that up? No. What does that mean? It means that I pay attention. Right? Yeah, that's what it means. Does it mean, when people say, I, I forget what clairvoyant even means. It's like ESP. It's not psychic. It's not psychic. No. Although, it's similar sometimes. Wow. 
Like the one that always comes to me when I'm first, because I don't keep a, I need to keep a list of like ex- experiences that I can. There explain. are moments that feel like they're that. Yeah, like you just know what's going to happen. It's the weirdest thing. Give me an example. Oh, it, while I was at CalArts, um, I had planned to go to Tucson, Arizona for a week for my birthday. Okay. And it, which was in January. And uh, I was leaving, I think, in two days or something, three days. But I woke up that morning at 4 a.m. and I knew I had to go now. And I don't know why. Okay. So I packed my bag, I changed my ticket, I went. Two days later was the Northridge quake. And wow. it was just this weird thing. And my apartment was pretty, it was not totally damaged, but it was significantly because the building that I was in was in rollers. So it was like everything was just destroyed inside. Right. Even though the structure was fine, it was like the stuff was gone. Um, and that was just one example. Or I don't know, I think being a director. <clears throat> or a writer, you learn how characters exist and how they interact and what's the web and the fabric of people you're make-believing so that then when you take those same thoughts and processes and you apply it in real life, then it, it, you presume a lot about people, but sometimes you're really right, if, especially if you're paying attention to like the details of how people act and carry themselves and communicate, like as if they were characters in a movie. Right. Oh, that's... That thing that she does with her hand, that's a tell. That means this. Or yeah. like, it's how you notice how they move and how they interact. And Right. And yeah. sometimes you just get pictures in your mind that I can't explain. That's amazing. That you just go with. Right. If you can be wrong, sure. Sometimes you are, but some, there's a lot of times you're not. I, be, I feel like everybody has that. Right. It's, you, you just know something. Um, think about the last time you were on a date or you were in a romantic situation where it was the first time you were going to kiss someone, you knew they wanted you to kiss them. Right. So that's a little bit of it too. Right. What if you felt that and you leaned forward to kiss them and they sort of leaned back? Well, you were wrong. Right. But most often we all have that ability to do that. It's just really focusing in on the signals that are around us and paying attention to it and then acting on it. Right. And not always being caught up in what you're experiencing, what you're thinking. Right. You have to right. kind of turn your attention outward. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Has it ever freaked you out? Yeah. Like, why? Yeah. I mean, and then there were really weird sort of crazy woo-woo moments where, you know, like in Firecracker, we're recreating the murder in the very place it happened, you know, in the same room. And there was a lot of weird shit that happened. You shot in the same room where the murder happened? Same house. And it looked like it had not been touched since. Holy shit. There were people living there. Were people freaked out about it? That you were doing it there? Was there anyone that was like, that's not, that's sort of, I don't know. No, they weren't freaked out, but they were, they were engaged, but also in it. I mean, Mike Patton and Karen Black were, you know, like just, they could feel the room and they, they, I mean, I don't, it was crazy. And you told them like, this is where it really happened. Oh yeah. They knew. Everybody knew. Everyone knew. That's weird. Yeah. That was freaky. Yeah. (laughs) And you had weird thoughts going into that and well it was just bizarre and I don't remember any specific ones but it wasn't like a chair moved across the room it wasn't yeah. like a haunting thing but there was a feeling there was an energy in that place and I, I remember one time Karen sat down and she just sort of looked down and there was this like old ancient bible and then she's like because her character is very religious and she picks it up and she just opens it and whatever she opened it to it had to do with what we were doing it was the weirdest stuff was that on caught on film no oh wow were you like um trying to get it what you needed as quick as you could so you could get the fuck out of no, there. No, we were in there for like a week. <laughs> it was great. Set up house, make yourself at home. Totally, totally. We're, we're going to be here a while. All right, you pick some questions from the observation deck. Yes. W- what's your favorite souvenir from a job? 
Speaking of klepto, I do steal some things sometimes. Okay. <clears throat> um, my favorite thing I took from a job. Well, it was probably um, the Mexican glassware that I took from El Gonzo. Yeah, that stuff, everything, was it beautiful? Oh, it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Pack that shit up in your... Totally. All right. What's the most trouble you ever got in in school? Oh, it would have been at CalArts when um, my friend Whitney put on some Versace dress. She got somebody's motorcycle. And then we drank half a bottle of Godiva chocolate in our coffee and rode through the school in the motorcycle. And that we were told to not do because we were endangering people. Right. You're, you're, gonna, <laughs> you're interrupting the orgy. Yeah, you can. Ha- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I can't get over the orgy. The, 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 just you peek in there, just a bunch of people fucking. Totally. Like, how many people are we talking in the... Twelve. Twelve people. Yeah. All just, different races, genders, everything. Go for it. Yeah. That's... I wonder, I wonder if they got paid. They probably got They were meals. students. No, they, okay. were, they were they were fellow students. All right. What's the most crazy thing you've done in pursuit of a crush? Crazy thing I've done in pursuit of a crush? Oh, wow. Um, I'm not a stalker. Okay. Um... But I feel like I've had that tendency before. Right. Like, to just find out everything I can about them. Right. Not recently, but I... You know, I'd show up where they work. Yeah. And, like, see them, and then... Eventually, we would get... Oh. Well, eventually... (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, we would, like, hang out. But speaking of stalkers, I had one once in Kansas, and... And it cannot be that hard to find you in that town. No, but I knew who the person was. Oh, okay. So I slept with them. And they never called me again. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's the secret. That's the secret. <laughs> Just sleep with your stalker and you'll, they'll be, you'll be free of them. Right. That's really not a bad, that's not bad advice at oh. all. Just go, just suck it up one time. Sure. Literally. Oh, it was good. It was good. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. That's I mean, I kind of wanted to see him again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it just didn't happen. <laughs> that, that is hilarious. That's a movie right there. I know. Describe your most, oh, this is more of an actor thing, but you might have an answer. Sure. Describe your most unfortunate headshot. Mm. Did you ever have headshots? Sure. Okay. Um, for promotional reasons or something. Sure. Um, was there one when you look back and you're like, wow, acid wash? Oh, there were some bad ones. Yeah. Um, yeah, because there was a time between 18 and 19 that I had a modeling agent in New York and I thought I was going to be doing that for something. Sure. Was, whatever. So I had to get a bunch of pictures taken and I'm so hopeful that, I mean, thank God that social media wasn't around. I mean, I don't even right. know where they are, but I would hope that nobody ever finds them. Right. So they were fun, cool. I bet they. I bet you would look back and go, you know what? I looked twelve in them. Yeah. And the makeup person, the co- I mean, it was just stupid. I mean, right. it just looks ridiculous. You know, dreams. You gotta have dreams. Sure. Um, any memorable p- pranks you've played or endured? On Are you this, a prankster? Yes. On set. Sure. During Firecracker, I found a fart machine. <laughs> So. That's going to be the title of this podcast, by the way. I always pull one quote. Okay. So. Okay, so. In addition to running your master plan, you've yes. got Karen Black. You've sure. got, sometimes you've got Jane Weedland just scoping things out. Sure. You also find a fart machine. Yes, and it's a scene where Susan Trailer is coming in and she's going to visit with Kathleen Wilhoit. Who's oh, fantastic. these actors. Yeah, yeah, great. And so I decide to hide the fart machine right next to Kathleen Wilhoit. And she just got there the day before, so she hadn't seen me use this previously, like the other day or like last week. What is it? What is a fart machine? It's a little. It's a, it's a weird sort of remote thing. I feel like there's oh, an okay. app for it now. I, it's literally mm-hmm. some kind of machine because I've seen yeah. those things that are like Play-Doh, and you push and it makes a fart sound. But oh no, no this is like a little box that looks okay. like a speaker. Okay. And you hide it behind a pillow. Okay. And you press the button from across the room, and it goes. 
or whatever. It makes some farting sound. So it's it, there's a there's the two pieces like remote. Yes. Okay, so you could put the fart behind the pillow. Yes. Behind Kathleen Wilhoit, and you could be in Video Village. Yes. So what happened was <laughs> we did the first take, and when I and she was great. She's genius. Kathleen is amazing. Right. She does this great um, one woman or not one woman. It's a variety show. The first uh, Monday of every month at um, uh, an Italian place. I forgot. Oh, Il Vitello's. Yes. And she, it's great. I highly recommend going. And okay. she gets some great musicians yeah. and great poets. And oh, cool. She's really good. That must um, be something cool about LA. It is. Always. There's always, like, stuff going on. Yeah. And all the people I've ever met and know are here. So it's like, I get to see my friends a lot. You yeah, know? yeah. That's um, cool. So Kathleen does the scene. It's great. And I thought, okay, one more. And so now I'm... You've got what you need. And we're filming, and I'm selecting the... I'm pushing the fart machine and activating it during the scene, and she has no idea what's going on, right? She she doesn't break. She doesn't break. And Susan Trailer opposite her, it's like over Susan's shoulder at right. Kathleen. Susan can't control it, right? She's just like... I mean, to the point at which it looks like she's... You can see convulsing. her shoulders, yeah. Um, and then Kathleen just... She does it. She's total pro. And then afterwards... I felt horrible afterwards, actually, because she didn't... Like, like, because she didn't know it was going to happen. I mean, if somebody, like, I don't know. She was just really, she's a professional. Right. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm yeah, there. Yeah, she, I mean, she just thought it was a little, like, not cool. Well, she, I think she laughed afterwards. Right. But, you know, I, I still felt bad. Right. Like, oh, I can't believe I did that to someone. Yeah. You know? That's but hilarious. the other people I did it to, I didn't feel bad at all. So. No. So it's, it just depends. Yeah. Do you still have it? No, no. Somebody else is. Yeah. That's fun, though. Mm-hmm. That's good. So you can you can build in that kind of time into your master your master plan. Sure, a little bit of time for that from all. Yeah, or sometimes I'll deliberately on the third take. Because usually I only do two or three. Okay. Um, if you have hired good people, you don't need yeah. to worry about too much. Um, I'll just throw something at them randomly, not like a pillow, but like, yeah, just something else. <laughs> I'll just you know yeah, or I'll just say a word in the middle of their thing to get them to do it differently, just for fun, just to yeah. see. Because sometimes it's worked that you make a joke with them, and that ends up being the best take. If your actors were to talk to other actors about what it's like to work with you, what do you think they would say? Somebody calls them up and say, hey, I'm thinking of working with Steve. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've heard what they've said in the past. Yeah. Um, they said it's like a cross between Summer Camp, a Christopher Guest movie. Right. And that it's really, it's fun, you know, and it's it's easy. It's so fun. you'll enjoy yourself. That is good. Exactly. You, should, you should absolutely It's not grueling. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, let's run down your movies and how people can see them. Okay. Okay. El Gonzo. El Gonzo opens September 9th at the Arena uh, Daily Shows. Okay. Um, I think there's two shows. There's a matinee and an evening on The Arena Sunday. is here in Los Angeles. It is. It's in Hollywood, right on Los, pa- Las Palmas, next to the Egyptian. Right on. Now, what about a video on demand or for people that don't live in L.A.? Okay, so um, we don't know about El Gonzo on demand yet. Okay. Um, but it'll be eventually at yeah. some point. Helltown is out now on iTunes and Google Play. We were actually number 14 on Google Play last week. That's good. pretty awesome. So everybody should go to Google Play and yeah. keep those numbers going. That's good. Um, and then uh, Elvis Lives, people can get somewhere online. Yeah. yeah they. I, or it's, yeah, it's going to be re-aired on AXS TV. I love that. Have you? Do you feel like you've done well with... Because throughout your career in the distribution, you've probably seen things change from DVD oh. to theatrical to VOD and like having to every time you make a movie it's probably a whole different model yeah my first film well the first two were shot on 35mm and the first one came out on VHS DVDs hadn't been right. invented yet you know it was a yeah. brand new thing that year at Cannes that Lloyd Kaufman looked at me and he was like I guarantee you this DVD thing is gonna take off oh shit and, no, and nobody believed it 
at the time. Wow. And then it's like, I saw the whole transition from film to digital, you know, and like all of that was wild. Do you feel like you're good at rolling with that and oh, yeah. finding out about it and keeping up and this is what we have to do and... I'm not so good with like virtual reality and like the next phase of stuff, sure. but I feel like... But in terms of storytelling. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you just, you're... Evolve. Yeah. I mean, uh, and you just, if you're going to create and continue to create, you just need to evolve in whatever it is. Get with the program. Yeah. Um, how can people find out more about you? You have a website? I do. Dikenga.com. D-I-K-E-N-G-A. Awesome. Do you do social media? I do. Um, I'm S. Balderson on Twitter and uh, Dikenga on Instagram. Love it. All right. Last question. Why do you make movies? It's the only thing I can really do well. I can't really do anything else. And it feels like it's the only place I'm home. Feels like home to you. Yeah. On the set. Yeah. In the totally comfortable. Room. Totally. Um, and I don't. I can't do much else too well. When in the filmmaking process are you happiest? Remember when I said last question? I lied. Each part. Like I love. So you're happy scheduling. on set. You're happy yeah. pre-production. You're happy in casting. You're happy in editing. Yeah, I try to be really excited about what it is where I am. Wherever it is. Yeah. So during the shoot, I'm not thinking about editing because right. I love that. Right. But then during the editing room where it's just me sitting there and like thinking of things, I'm so happy that no one's with me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I love this part the best, but I feel like I love this part the best in each part. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm inspired Thank by you. what you've created and how you've done it all kind of on your own. Right. Yeah. Do you, do you ever get fed up and they're like, Oh, I just need some help. Or do you, do you feel like you yes, like, I do. Yeah. But as I've gotten older, that's why I've hired people. Like even if yeah. Dekanga films produces a movie, I'm hiring the producer and the UPM right. and all these people to do it so that I can just direct. Do you tell them to do the master list? The yeah. The master plan? I'm involved in that part. until yeah. if, Unless they've worked with me before and then they, they know how to do it. How to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been really fun talking to you. Thanks, Thank guys. you for coming over. And uh, you guys check out all his movies and keep an eye out for everything else that he's got coming down the pike because I'm sure there'll be lots of it. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Steve Balderson. Check out his movies. You will enjoy all right, so this happened. I went to see Chico's Angels, which is a stage production here in L.A., three Latina drag queens, two of which have been on this podcast, Danny Casillas as Frida Lay and Oscar Quintero as Quesadilla. And it's very, very funny. This episode is a new one. They've never done it before. It's set in Hawaii. I think it's Waikiki Chicas, it might be, or Angels 5-0. I don't know. It's Hawaii. It's the Hawaiian one. And um, I think my favorite thing about it was they used the... Haunted Tiki from the Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii. They use that little plot. So you, every time it would get past to somebody else, you'd hear da 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 da. Remember the Tiki sound? Yeah, they nailed it. There's also a really funny sight gag involving a vo- volcano that was a particular highlight. And there's a, a super hunky guy and lots of laughs to be had. So it's sold out for its current run, but it will be back, I think, in November. So check out Chico's Angels. It's a lot of fun. I also watched the VMAs. And um, enjoyed them. I enjoyed Rihanna a lot. I liked her speech at the end. She seemed like a kind of cool person. Beyonce is amazing. But her perfection is like... Am I wearying of her her perfection? Like, I, the, the next time she wins an award, I think she's going to walk on water up to the stage. I don't know. What's my problem? Of course she's amazing. I don't want to get hate tweets, although getting any tweets would be nice. I don't know. I'm I'm having to do some soul searching about Beyonce. You know what she needs is a good carpool karaoke that shows that she's down to laugh and that she can have a good fun, a good time, and 
maybe she could show the world that she knows um, some Partridge Family songs or something, something unexpected. Uh, just a little bit of, just a little bit of uh, humanity, maybe, or uh, some cracks in the perfection. Like even in that elevator when um, Solange went off on Jay Z, Beyonce was like, "Boom!" Like she was under plexiglass. All right, that's all I have. I'm working out my own feelings. I, I don't want to really go on record yet with my thoughts on Beyonce, but I might someday. All right, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.